first of all, tell me what, what qualities or what characteristics do I need, right? To, to have a syndication. And then how do I start? Like, give me three for characteristics and give me three way, three of my first actions. You got to be able to get up. If you get knocked down, um, you have to be willing to work with other people in a very collaborative way. And you need to be humble and learn. Um, if you go out there, uh, cocksure and, and thinking you're just going to blast it all away, um, you're going to run headfirst into a couple of walls. And there's very savvy folks out there who will take advantage of you and you won't know it until it's too late. Welcome to the Real Estate Mix, the video podcast that keeps you into in the mix of everything real estate. I'm Noel Freisen. And I'm Eric Anderson. <laughs> and we're so excited to see you all back today. And hey, we're so excited to welcome this amazing guest, which we're going to talk about syndication today and how to invest through syndication. This is one of my favorite topics. And um, I know it's one of Omar's favorite topics. And yes. I want to learn all about it because I am so excited about this. Sam, you might have a new, a new, uh, investor. A new syndicator. Yeah. <laughs> so Wonderful. we're here. First, let me back up. We have our power panel and today we have Omar, Omar Sharif. He is our investor flipper guru. He is a residential guru. He is a newly minted developer. Doesn't that sound good? The developer sounds great. And the vice president of Alexander Anderson Capital Group. Capital Group. So, awesome. and we have our special guest. Yes, tell tell them about our special guest. <laughs> we have Sam Sells from Wild Mountain Capital. Now, Sam, tell us a little bit about yourself and about what you do and how you started and all that good stuff. Yeah, thank thank you so much uh, for having me on the pod and uh, and on the show. Yeah, so um, I uh, retired Air Force guy. I spent, um, before I joined the Air Force and for the first, for the entire time I was in the military, I, I flipped homes on the side. Uh, for about six years in the military, I was an, a firefighter and had like every other day off. And so every other day, you know, a friend, partner, and I would go and, you know, rehab these homes and, you know, make these flips happen. And, and I had worked in construction for a few years before I joined the military, but uh, then I spent about a decade while in the military as an international health specialist, um, combat aviation advisor, working with foreign militaries, foreign governments, helping them to develop healthcare um, systems that were sustainable and um, based on the the capabilities of the of the government that I was working with. And uh, in that process, I built a lot of healthcare facilities overseas. Um, development in Africa, development in Asia, uh, development in America is much different process, mm -hmm. you know, much, much different. And so it's been a bit of a shock uh, doing, you know, uh, real estate again in the States. And uh, some of it's just sticker shock of how expensive things can be, as well as how you can get in such a, a gigantic quagmire with, you know, um, permitting and, well, you have to use this, you know, uh, type of breaker for your your panel, and it's two hundred fifty dollars versus a twenty five dollar one that the rest of the world, you know, the developed world uses uh, because of the local ordinance. How did you move into because uh, Wild Mountain Capital is is fairly new, two thousand eighteen, what five years? Um, uh, how did you move into syndication? So. Um, you know, we, we're looking at retirement and what we wanted to do. And my dad didn't have a retirement saved up. So we put together our pennies and we bought a, a really small mobile home park uh, that turned out well for us. So we bought another mobile home park through a thing called a master lease, which I learned about on YouTube. Um, I've since used that to really great effect. And then um, that, you know, we, we bought that. We... When we first started together, we had about 80 or, or $100,000 combined in savings. Um, but somehow we leveraged that plus refinancing a car and a you know credit card loan um, and bought, you know, 
these two mobile home parks. And within, you know, within uh, about six months, um, collectively, we were making about $12,000 a month uh, in free and off the two mobile home parks. First, only... Let me let me say, Sam. Thank you for your service. We appreciate you got you watching out for us, um, while the rest of us are 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 not, or at least I'm not. So uh, thank thank you for David that. David was my fiance was in the Air Force. My dad was in the Air Force, oh, captain. Awesome. But uh, in any event, yeah. So mobile home parks have always been something that I've really been excited about. I know a lot of mm. movie stars um, traditionally have mobile home parks. What were were you afraid to get into that? I mean, did did YouTube really help you? understand the process of the master lease and what because in your syndications today from what I've the research I've done on you you're doing more buildings so when did you switch from mobile home parks into buildings and and what did your first mobile home park cost yeah first one cost 275 um, we ended up putting down seventy thousand dollars the second one was 495 um, the lease agreement, we put down a hundred thousand dollars, but um, forty thousand went to construction rehab. The other sixty went to as a down payment. So you know, a ten, twelve percent down payment at, um, you know, in neg- pre-negotiated lease uh, agreement, it it worked out fantastic. It was the distress first. First one was just a small little three unit. In Alaska, the second one was a 42-lot park in Oklahoma. And we started with mobile home parks for two reasons. One, they were, I mean, you know, trying to fathom buying an apartment building and coming up with 500 grand when we had beans in our in our pockets. And, and we'd never done anything with more than one, you know, unit on it or, or a duplex, you know, at the most. And so there's that fear of getting into the big stuff. And now I know big stuff is easier in a lot of ways um, and far more manageable. But yeah, I, hope, I don't know that I answered all your questions there, but that's that's kind of how we got started. And then we moved to syndication because we ran out of money. And we're like, oh, this this works. So what was your uh, first? We weren't scared of it. What was your first syndication? Okay. So then we, um, after we did two, we syndicated uh, a mobile home park. Um, and then we bought six more mobile home parks through joint ventures, um, okay. until we came up with, uh, not, uh, 10 mobile home parks, nine, nine mobile home parks and a, uh, storage development, ground up storage development in the first year or so of doing it. So we got a little crazy. <laughs> There's something special about wild mountain capital that you specifically go into, um, depressed areas and as you put it, you you turn you know buildings that have been poorly managed into some place that someone is proud to call their home, right? Um, so right. tell us a little bit about that kind of um, that thought process, how you got that, and and tell us sort of how you help people while helping other people become financially free. Yeah, so I, I think it's our greatest strength, and in some ways, it's been our greatest weakness at the same time. So the I have a, an incredible passion for helping others, particularly those who don't know how to help themselves, um, or they may know how, but they can't because they are so resource constrained, or their environment is so constrained. Um, and spending all that time, um, whether in Afghanistan. Uh, Asia, you know, rural parts of Europe, um, Central and West Africa, you know, all these different places um, taught me a few things. One, there's, you know, if you're going to improve health outcomes, um, you really have to get back to the home, what's happening in the home. If you want to improve educational outcomes, you really have to go back to the home and, and focus on the home. And so you have a society, if if the home life is terrible um, and you're trying to educate everybody, um, it, it just the, the educational outcomes just aren't very good because they go home. There's no support. There's no structure. There's, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out how they're going to eat. Uh, sure. I grew up American poor and, and, and I resonate with that quite a bit. Sure. So that's impressive. What, what, when did you make that connection between um, helping 
or syndicating and helping people and where, and how did you put the two of them together and how has that affected you raising money through other people? Mm. Yeah. So, um, one we've attracted, uh, for the most part, we've attracted really great investors who want to make a difference in the world. Um, I want to do so through syndication. Um, I connected those. I think I was in, um, I was in in Jamina Chad, um, and we were out um, in in the town while working with some folks, and and like all this experience, kind of that I've had for so many years, just kind of came forward. And I was just looking at their homes and and looking how they lived, and thinking for the you know five hundred thousandth time, like I wish I could help here more than I am. All we are is a little drop in this massive ocean trying to create as, as a big of a wave as we possibly can, but, um, you know, where, how can I make a difference? And I, I can't keep doing this, um, in a major way, unless I figure out a way to tie a profit motive to, um, to the, to the process. And so we, you know, real estate was a way for us to find a way that people who are motivated by profits can st- go and help other people. And then that profit becomes the, the creator of sustainability. So do you limit, do you limit who you take in based on their, the size of their heart or based on the size of their wallet or, (laughs) or how do you, how do you decide who you want to partner up with? Yeah. So that's, that's been a big learning curve for us. I mean, we've taken on investors who are like, yeah, I want to help people, but you know, I, I want you to give me a, a minute by minute update and I'm going to disapprove of all of your um, decisions because, um, you know, although I've never done it, never been a part of it, don't want to be a part of it. I just, whatever you say is, is wrong. And so investors like that, you're, you're like, you're, you're going to be better off just keeping your money in a bank um, and let somebody else manage your money. Uh, <laughs> a lot of folks who have a really big heart don't have a, a necessarily a big wallet. Um, and, and I will tell you, raising capital when you're saying, hey, look, this is a really distressed deal and the pictures are ugly, please put money in it. It's it's a very hard sell, right? Yeah. Um, and then when you're buying, a, a, a let's say, apartment complex that's 52 units, uh, it's in a distressed area, and there's only six people living in it and the buildings are condemned. It's, it's a heavy lift and there's going to be a lot of things that go wrong. And if folks don't have the appetite to take the ride and they're, and they're not willing to say, okay, you know, we tried really hard. Um, it, it's not working out. We're going to have to make some readjustments or et cetera. Um, then, you know, they're, they're probably not the right people. They're, they're better off investing in the beautiful looking, you know, condo, offering that's in Miami, Florida, and all the pictures are gorgeous and everyone else is throwing their money in there and the, the operators, the owners, I mean, they can, they can almost not screw that deal up because, you know, they're paying top dollar for the best property management firms and et cetera, et cetera. You can't get the best property management firms to manage a, sure. a dump. You're going to change it all over and when you're done, they will, but sure. not in the not in the interim. That 52-unit deal with six apartments, I know Omar and I would be super excited to have something like that. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't you make more money once you're through with a project like that than you would investing in something in Miami? Isn't that why people are flocking to you? Yeah, that, that's it. You would make more money. Um, you definitely make more money in these heavy value add. Um, it's just you, you got to understand that. Um it's a difficult ride for the operator and um, there's going to be mistakes made in that process. Now we've gotten so much better at it, uh, but particularly early on, we just COVID messed up all of our CapEx budgets, right? <laughs> when you're, you know, stuff that you were buying doubles, triples and prices and your contractors, uh, we had a, a general contractor die of COVID wow. and that, messed up a, a property right so it's it's just took like his, he took his um, deposits with him <laughs> yeah he took all of his tools with him too <laughs> <laughs> no i 
Yeah, it was sad. It was such a sad day. Yeah, no, I don't mean to laugh. But I just want I just want to educate our viewers, right? Um, what exactly? And I know you told our class this. What but, is the syndication? Right. Yeah. Omar. What That's is Omar's the syndi- Omar? So, what's the syndication? So good point. Good question. So Sam, we have syndications that we do as well. Um, yeah. And can you just walk us through a process that you've gone through? So from finding the deal, how do you find deals? Because it seems as though you find deals out of state. And what is it? Let's let's go for the person who was like, "Ooh, syndication. I've heard of that, but what is it?" What is it, Omar? So syndication. I mean, I'm assuming you raise money from investors to purchase a deal. You syndicate funds and you purchase a deal, using those funds and you give those investors a profit margin based on how the investment performs. So wait, Omar. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that like is that an easy way for someone who doesn't want to actually go out and like find the flips and do the flips or find the added value and do the added value? Does that mean that's a good way for them to get into investments by yeah. being in a syndication? Because that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's it's um an alternative to investing in the stock market or other passive investments. So like someone like me who doesn't want to get my hands dirty. Right. Right. Would give to the syndication based on the return that you get, not so much that you like real estate, but based on the return. you feeling comfortable with real estate as an investment and the return that it gives you. Got it. I got it. Yeah. So, so Sam, can you walk us through from beginning to end? Let's go through a deal where you're able to source a deal. You have on your website. I saw you have a you have a team. One of them is re- responsible for acquisitions. Um, what are they doing to find the deal, getting it approved, and then you send it out to investors to raise funds? And I also saw affordable housing mentioned on your website. So are you working with any state or government grants mm-hmm. or are these just in general areas that you're improving the properties? Yeah, so let's start with basic question one, uh, the process and then two, um, affordable housing and who you work with. And um, that, uh, and hopefully, I don't, I don't know if you can hear my five-year-old in there. Uh, I thought that was, an, I thought that was one of your investors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah, where's my money? Um, Don't worry, yeah. we have kids too. Well, not Omar yet. <laughs> sure. So, we, <laughs> over the over the past four plus years, we've developed a really strong network of of sources, and um, I think you know there's this this ideology around the off market deal is always better, and and we found deals off market. They're like, this is a terrible deal. Told them to take it on market and see what happened. And sure enough, they put it on the market and the market was not kind. So the deal um, got better. Right. So it, it just, uh, at the end of the day, it's really about the underwriting process, uh, the filter and, and other stuff. And so I have a dedicated underwriter who um, supports the acquisition team. Um, the, our acquisition director, he's... Uh, Long-term debt equity broker used to be an underwriter for Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. He understands um, the debt and equity world. Um, he's underwritten, I don't know, thousands of deals. Um, and it was good to hand off, that off to him because I, particularly in the beginning, when you get started, you're so excited. You're, you've got all these lofty ambitions. And, you know, I heard uh, a guy the other day say, oh, yeah, I did a 40% expense margin and you know, this deal on that. And I'm like, dude, this is a 1960s asset. There's no way in the world it's going to operate with only 40% expenses. It just doesn't. And so now experience tells me that these assumptions that folks make are, are completely wrong. And so we, we've modified uh, assumptions significantly and our underwriting has gotten much, much better. We also capitalize projects completely. I want to say completely differently, but much more heavily now than we used to. Um, just because at the end of the day, if you don't have cash, it doesn't matter how good of a operator or owner you are, you can't mm-hmm. you can't complete the objective, right? So, what would, what would be a qualifier for um, someone to invest with you? Yeah, so we do both five hundred six B and five hundred six C deals. The first and foremost is just to reach out and to, to talk to us if if this aligns with your what's a five hundred six C and a five hundred six B D E F G B. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I was back up a little bit. So syndications is pulling together money um, and then basically handing over the rights to make decisions on that money to uh, a manager. You want to do that for, for two reasons. One, um, you, you don't have all the time in the world to sit out there and it takes a ton of time, particularly uh, for those who are fully engaged as, as an operator should be. If they're not fully engaged, don't work with them. 
if they're just a capital raiser, great, understand, but then get to know who the operator is. The operator being the person who's not just a property manager, but overseeing the entire process mm-hmm. um, beginning to end. Because uh, you're going to get married to them for five years, seven years, um, maybe longer if the market goes sideways or whatever. Uh, two, um, the reason why you want to hand your money over to a syndicator um, or a group is because that removes the liability from you. So if somebody trips and falls and sues, they're going to sue the owner operator. They're not going to sue the investors. Um, and the Security Exchange Commission, who governs these, says that anything that anytime you turn your money over to somebody else who has control of your money to make decisions without asking you all, you know, for every single decision they're making, do I need to, Hey, do I need to pay? Can't, will you allow me to pay the water bill? You know, you don't want to be in those decisions. You just want that stuff to happen. Right. Yep. Uh, anything, anytime that happens, security exchange commission says, Hey, that has to be classified as a security. And then it's going to fall into one of these buckets. And um, you think of securities like stocks and bonds. Well, it's, it's similar to that, but there's different regulations that govern those different disclosures and then a 506B offering, you need to have some uh, level of, um, you know, pre-existing relationship with the owner-operator before you jump in a deal uh, or, or the syndicator, whoever's part of the deal. Um, if you don't have a pre-existing relationship, then you need to develop one um, or it needs to be a 506C deal, in which case uh, I like to say the Screen Exchange Commission says, who is allowed to lose all their money and who is not allowed to lose all their money without some kind of um, protections. And so if you're in a 506C deal, you must be worth over a million dollars or meet, you know, make over $200,000 a year. Um, All that, you know, these certain level requirements, if you meet those requirements then you can invest in these deals, I will say that if your syndicator or your group that you're investing money with, says, hey, this is a sure thing. You're not going to lose any money. Um, that may be true, but they're they're giving you false hope. Any mm-hmm. real estate deal can lose 100% of its value. It can happen. It doesn't happen a lot, but it can happen. Right. Anything you invest with. So have you, have you had any deals where you lost? Where I've lost personally? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I've done enough of these to, to lose money. Um, anyone who says they haven't either has not been doing deals for very long or they're probably lying to you. Um, so the way that I have lost money is we get through due diligence and we find something like a million dollars worth of, uh, underground pipes that need to get replaced and the seller won't, um, renegotiate the price. And so we have to walk away and we lose earnest money. So that's how I've lost money on deals before. Um, we've underestimated cost. And so I've lost money in the sense that I've sold some of my equity in the deal to raise additional money. So we didn't squeeze investors down. Okay. I didn't have to do that way. We could have done a capital call, but I'd rather, Hey, this is on me. I should have foreseen COVID and better well, capital. You can't, you can't foresee so COVID. Right. But, yeah. yeah. So, so Sam, you mentioned, um, so you have the acquisitions, and underwriting in your office, they find a deal, it gets a- approval from your underwriter, then comes the funding. So I'm assuming you have a network of people who have invested in you, or do you have an active campaign to attract new investors? Well, you can go on his website and mm-hmm. click the button. Sure, so how do you advertise a website and, and your presence to investors so that they could invest into your approved deals? Yeah, so uh, for the first couple of years, I did zero advertising. Um, our website wasn't very good. It was all just word of mouth. Um, uh, we're probably 50% or 60% repeat investors, um, which I think is pretty good, but it also means that we're not, um, you know, every deal we, we're not advertising enough or we're not sharing it enough. Um, I think, um, you know, we, we've started um, pr- putting ourselves more out there and being more open about it. I'm very open in person, but I'm not one to get on a stage and start dancing around and, and shaking my tail feather to attract attention. I've never been a peacock. I'm going to shake your tail feather. Neither have I, Sam. <laughs> no, that's what Noel will do. <laughs> it's, yeah. So, you know, I, 
Well, you said they have to have a pre-existing relationship with you if you don't make over 200000 a year, be worth more than a million. So is that why when we go on your website, you have to have a pre-phone call? Is that is, Does that constitute a pre-existing relationship after that phone call? Uh, it begins the process. Um, there's folks who say, oh, it has to be a 30-day cool-off period. There's nothing legal about that. <laughs> um, there's other uh, kind of myths that have, have gotten into the uh, syndication world about what that means or doesn't mean. Uh, I think ultimately the SEC wants to protect investors, and it should. It needs to protect everyday Americans from those out there who are charlatans or are going to steal that money or are going to use it to buy their new Porsche or whatever. Um, and uh, I think, you know, the intent is to protect. And so as, you know, as an owner operator, as someone who's bringing money in, uh, I need to have that same intent. And so I advise folks, if this is your entire life savings, do not invest it like this. You know, I don't, I don't want to get a call because something terrible happened and now we're going to lose, everyone's going to lose their money and, and you're going to tell me you just lost your life savings and you're going to be in the poorhouse. I don't want that call. Right. Your kid's college fund or something, right? So, so Sam, yeah. are, you, are you finding right now, so is there a shortage of deals out there? Because you said you're not advertising for new investors. So you have 50% repeat customers. If you were to advertise, would you have a shortage of deals or is there just so much out there that you could just keep going forever? Uh, we, you, it's like an infinite number of deals. There's always deals. People are always willing to sell. There's always distressed assets. We see them all the time. Um, we are focused. Um, we are really focused right now on um, getting the deals that we have into a great, um, a great position to to you know last because these are heavy value ideals it takes time to get them where they need to be and so we really need to um, i mean some of them are already there they've gone through it all they're doing fantastic others are on the struggle bus a little bit we got to finish up the business plans and and covid really slowed us down really it's the post covid um when everybody came back to work and started charging double all that stuff's really just slowed us down so what 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 Sam? What's a typical time frame from let's say when you acquire the property to are are you returning the investors' money with, with a refinance? Is the money staying in forever? Like what what's your strategy and how long does it take? And then also typically, what are the returns that you're giving out? Yeah, when do I start putting money in my pocket? <laughs> Great question. So it depends on the deal. Um, we used to do deals that took about two years to get money. It was almost like a, a a straight development project. Mm -hmm. uh, we've moved to doing ones that cash flow a lot sooner, um, just because it's you know cash flow pays bills. I don't care if you're worth hundred million dollars. You can't. If you don't have any money, you can't even buy a cheeseburger. Um, yeah. You know, so uh, we've focused more on cash flow now than we have in the past, and we focus more on um, speed to cash flow. We're, our construction crews that we own and operate are incredibly good and incredibly fast. Uh, we usually turn out three units a week per property per crew. Um, we've done over 300 units in the past year or so. Um, so we're churning it out in units. Um, and usually it's an occupancy play for us. So we fill a bunch of units and now we're cash flow. We just created $30,000 a month in you know, two or three months. That stuff is real and that can happen. Um, and it does happen. I would say typically you're probably just, just say for our deals, you're probably going to wait a year before you're going to get money. Um, hopefully less. Um, our last deal took about eight months. Um, and uh, before it started generating cash, and then we're looking at a two year refinance uh, where we are able to return 50 to 60% of your money. Wow. This is super cool. That's tax free money, right? Cause there's a refinance sure. it's your money coming back to you. You still own the same amount of money or you still own the same amount of equity in the deal. But now you have, let's say you put a hundred grand in, you get 50 grand back in two years. Now you're getting cash flow each month. Um, now the property is moving on or cash flow each quarter, depending on the project. And now you're, you still have a hundred thousand dollars worth of value in the project, but you got 50 K in your hands. So you're going to go invest that in another, another deal. 
Yeah. So give us a, what's the percentage return typically? Uh, we're usually looking for double digits on the cash return. Uh, sometimes it's eight or 9%. Um, uh, fortunately, rent's going up, makes cash flow much better. Sure. And then uh, we're usually targeting a 20% IRR for a five-year hold. Um, we've had some that hit 26, 27%. Um, those are generally mobile home parks. How, how is inflation affecting all of this for, for you and your investors? It, uh, if we exited now, the projected exit prices will be much lower. Um, if we underwrote it, let's say in 2021 and everyone was, you know, living fancy free. Uh, however, uh, rents have jumped considerably way beyond where we expected. I mean, we were looking at 4% rent growth, three to 4% is usually where we're at. Um, but, and then rent growth hitting 20%, 30% wow. uh, annualized in, in some places in the country has blown those numbers away. So uh, for example, on a deal that we closed on in February, 180 units in Dallas, Fort Worth, we're in year two of the performer right now. We've had the property for 10 months. That's amazing. You know, Omar had asked you about the affordable housing aspect of it, and I don't think we got to that, but I think that's really interesting. Yeah. So, so Sam, is it affordable housing areas, or are you specifically on affordable housing with government grants, state grants, et cetera? Yeah, so we're primarily in workforce housing, naturally affordable. We don't have any LIHTC, low-income housing tax credit uh, properties. Um, we don't have any um, uh, any HAP, so housing assistance uh, program or, or contracts that are governing how we can use the apartment units uh, for uh, one reason. One, that's where there's a lot of money in that, uh, a lot of money as a lot of big institutional investors that go after that because it's a very, it's like a guaranteed check. It's going to be a lower rate of return, but it's a guaranteed check. Um, what we are doing is we work with tons of uh, state and local housing programs. And so we do vouchers, section eight vouchers. Uh, we do lots, we work with charities. We work with, um, you know, folks like uh, women in crisis. We work with just about anybody you can possibly think of. I'm not met anyone else who does. Like we do, I haven't met any other property management companies that do like we do. We will actively seek out uh, local charities who can help our residents because we know if our residents can get back on their feet um, and successfully make rent, then, you know, they've got a great chance at, um, you know, a, a recovery, a financial recovery and stability and education and all, all these other things. If you're just kicking people out and you're like, hey, you didn't pay your rent, you're out. Um, and you're not providing any extra benefit to them, you're really harming them. Um, and we can do better. I just think we can do better. Now, sometimes you have to evict people. We do evict folks. If they won't accept help, they don't want to work with anybody, and they're not going to pay rent, I'm sorry, you're you're not ready for this responsibility in your life. It's like giving your teenager keys to your car and say, good luck. I know you don't have a driver's license, and I've never taught you anything. Best of luck. It's not good, right? And so when people abide by the, the rules and, and governance that we in place in these properties to make sure it's clean and it's safe and it stays that way, um, and they pay rent, um, then properties like, I mean, they just do so much better. You know, um, lease renewals are really high. Um, stability comes, the life stability comes for their schools, their kids' schools. Um, and, and it's, there's a, there's a lot of big words here, like democratizing or decentralizing um, poverty. Um, schools are judged on how, you know, transient their kids are. So if their population is more transient, then their school ratings are lower. And so you get these schools that are, they could have the best teachers in the world, but they're getting hosed on their ratings because this, their kids are living in crappy situations. And moving so, all the time. So really what you're buying, it's it's just a, a property that could be at full market. You're just choosing to direct those properties into uh, opportunities for people that are struggling to to have a leg up. So purely philanthropic, but a but a very unique way of um, soliciting investors. So I love that idea. 
before we go, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go I'm ahead. sorry. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, I, I will say this is within a capitalistic paradigm. So it is for profit. Um, that's how we gain sustainability and that's how we keep investors happy. But um, right. So, so Sam, would you, would you say that you help tenants get the assistance that they otherwise wouldn't be aware of, but they're still making rent at market value through Section 8, government housing, whatever the source might be? Yes. Okay. So if, so, if someone has a rent voucher, let's say the apartment's worth $2,000 and they have a rent voucher and they, that's all they can afford is what this rent voucher is and it's $1,800, but there's a guarantee there and does that align with what you're doing? Are you going to take the 1800 or are you going to pass them up and get a $2,000 person? Uh, depends on the, the demand. We will probably take them as a 1800 so if you're early on in the project and you have 40 vacancies or if you're late and you just need one more to refi so that, that's kind of okay so just before we yeah. go any further i want to tell everyone out there if you are interested in what sam is saying sam sells i love your name sam sam sells <laughs> if you're interested you. in what sam is saying and you want to hear more like this Press the subscribe button, guys. Go to uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And just know that you can always reach out to info at recareercenter.com to find out more about people like Sam or Sam and ask us questions. So, Sam, my big question to you, and you guys are going to want to stick around for this question. My big question to you is, What's the minimum amount of money I can give you to be in on this? What's the minimum buy-in? Yeah, so we uh, depends on the deal, but we typically will take as little as twenty to twenty-five thousand um, dollars, as long as there's a pre-existing relationship and we feel that we can meet the full intent of the Security Exchange Commission's desire and mandate to protect investors. Um, then, then we will take a low amount. That's huge because we get questions all the time from people who are like, I have 20,000, I have 50,000. How can I get into doing real estate investment? And, you know, we are all here in northern New Jersey, which is one of the most expensive places to live. Um, so it's usually like, yeah, you know, partner with someone. Yep. But this is exactly the kind of thing that they're looking for. So, so what, what would be so? So let's say. I just got my real estate license and I have some money yep. um, and I want to start a syndication. So Ooh. tell me, yeah. first of all, tell me what, what qualities or what characteristics do I need, right? To, to have a syndication. And then how do I start? Like give me three for characteristics and give me three way, three of my first actions. Right. So characteristics is, you got to be able to get up if you get knocked down. Um, you have to be willing to work with other people in a very collaborative way, and you need to be humble and learn. Um, if you go out there uh, cocksure and, and thinking you're just going to blast it all away, um, you're going to run headfirst into a couple of walls, and there's very savvy folks out there who will take advantage of you, and you won't know it until it's too late. Uh, I have, I started a course for this reason. I've seen a lot of people take other people's courses that just get jacked up. Um, and so I started a, a teaching course. I have a 12 week, um, where we go through the basics and what I outline, you know, the five or six different main tracks you can take in the commercial real estate to become incredibly successful. Um, what you want to accomplish in your life really depends, will drive what track you want to go on. And I've never seen anyone else ever talk or teach it. Um, and so I love helping people and, and they had this huge like, oh, moment. Uh -huh. I think I know what I want to do. And then once you know what you want to do, you can get on the right trajectory and you know what to study and learn and everything else. Now, I also do one uh, individual coaching. I don't take a lot of students. Um, but look, I've made some I made some doozies in this process of thinking I was DIY. I'm going to do it all myself. And I made some big mistakes. I lost a lot of money. Um and I can help people save, um, not to help people avoid going through that those painful experiences, and just get to making money and being successful and helping people. Um, but yeah, 
that's what you need. That's where you need to start. Find the right coach, find the right mentor. Um, and then I have a list of books. Reach out to me. I'm happy to share a list of books that I would recommend as a good way. Okay. So resilience, humble, uh, find a coach and, uh, keep, keep at it. So you mentioned some, some doozies. What was your biggest, what was your biggest doozy? And was your biggest doozy because you were not experienced or was your biggest doozy because you took a risk and it didn't work out? Biggest doozy was taking a risk that I never would have taken had I understood. Um, and so, um, we bought a property from a very savvy investor. Um, and, um, now I'm in a fraud case against him. I'm not in, I'm not, nobody's accused me of fraud. I, I have filed a fraud case against them, um, in court and they were very savvy. They took advantage of our naivety. Um, and we did due diligence and against our gut feeling, we decided to do the deal with this guy. Fortunately, there's no investors in that deal, but, um, it was very unfortunate and I could have, should have, you know, I brought it to a mentor of my, of mine uh, afterwards and said, Hey, look at this deal. I didn't tell him like what I thought or anything else. And he looked at it like, Sam, this is terrible. Don't do it. I'm like, well, the problem is I already have. <laughs> what did you miss? How did, <laughs> how did you miss it? Was it just the excitement? Was it a, an area that, that you weren't in yet and you wanted to try too much yeah, money in yeah, your pocket? It was an area uh, we had done ground up construction before overseas, and but I hadn't done it here. Um, I'd done it with in storage, and it worked out fantastic. Um, had not done it with apartment complex, and uh, it just we paid way too much. Um, the plan wasn't viable. All the work that he said was done was not in fact done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of statements and other things that he representations that they made. Um, and then, um, yeah, anyhow, I can go on that for a long time, but so at the end keep, of the day, yeah, go ahead. Would that keep you from doing another ground up development in, in residential? No, I, I would do it again, but I would do it like you're supposed to do it and spend, you know, a year or two getting everything sorted out before you spend the money to, to start building. You know what I mean? Understood. How do you do any kind of, cause where are you, where are you based first? Where like, not that I'm going to come to your house, but where are you based? <laughs> We're uh, just in between San Antonio and Austin, Texas in New Braunfels. Okay. So you're Great. in Texas, but I see that you have projects in Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, Tennessee, Alabama, Alaska. How do you do any kind of quality control and how do you manage, you know, a lot of people ask about, should I be doing this somewhere else where it's cheaper? You know what I mean? Or where you can find these type of deals. How do you manage that? Yeah. If, if you want to do something out of state, you need a really good partner. At the end of the day, somebody's got to be on the ground. And okay. so there's ways to mitigate that risk. Yeah, we third-party property managers, but even now, like I would never do that again unless there are large properties where the property pays for really high level of property management. So now you're doing mostly Texas, keeping it local. Texas is a big yeah. place, but yeah. Yeah, Texas, Oklahoma. Uh, places where we have really strong foundations. I can see construction crews anywhere in America. Um, in fact, if anyone needs construction, our guys are incredibly fast and they're really reasonably priced. Um, and I can send them anywhere in the States. That's no problem. The day-to-day operations and keeping your finger on the pulse is really hard when it's there's no locus of control for you in that state. So partner with somebody who does have... Um, a heavy amount of influence or, you know, a presence in that area. Awesome. How long did it take you to farm a syndication? Your, your first one? His yeah, first one. His first, how long? I'm like, I mean, you're working with the SEC. So I'm assuming there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of back and forth. There are a lot of qualifications. Like, 
they just don't let you fill out a form, pay $25 and keep it moving. Yeah. And also, Sam, just, just to add to that. Um, so what would be interesting in knowing what you're at, what point did you decide to form the 506C or 506B? Mm -hmm. Because most people are able to get initial capital from friends and family. It's then you come to a point where you need significantly more capital and that's when you form the fund. So how did you, that's right. How did you go through that? Yeah. So, um, I spent six months or seven months of study and work before we even started. Uh, we bought our first two deals six months later, we decided we were making money. Let's go ahead and syndicate. At that time I had found out about syndication, knew nothing about it before. Um, did all the study, all the prep work, um, found an attorney who could help us with that paperwork. And um, it was a trial by fire. I don't recommend anyone do it that way because um, we certainly made mistakes in that first one. Um, fortunately, everything turned out okay, but uh, it could have gone really sideways. Um, you can, for 25 bucks, you can go download, you know, uh, syndication documents online and then be your own attorney and then set it all up yourself. Um, I would just, if you, uh, yeah. You don't recommend that? Good luck. <laughs> I would not recommend that. A hundred percent not recommend that. And I, uh, yeah. If you don't have attorney involved in there, you are opening yourselves up to some significant issues. And if you do things wrong, I mean, you literally can go to jail. Wow. We don't want anyone going to jail. No. Guys, get a lawyer. Yeah, Tip, what's your what? What would you budget for an attorney to accomplish that? Ten grand, twenty grand, fifty grand. Yeah, we 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 generally ten to fifteen thousand dollars per syndication. Um, twenty maybe total if you're doing everything. You can get really very experienced attorneys. They're more twenty twenty five thousand uh, dollars. The kind of guys who do forty or fifty syndications a year. Um, but that's in Texas. I mean, some, here. In New Jersey, Texas, it's New going Jersey, to be so. like three times as much. Yeah, I mean, they're going to charge you a thousand bucks an hour, and every ten minutes they're going to charge you an hour, so it's going to be expensive. <laughs> do you do you put more than one property into a syndication, or do you leave everything? Is it one per property? One per property. I have one deal where we have two properties under one syndication. You can do that. Uh, you just need to set it up just a little bit more different. Uh, a little bit differently. Um, it's going to be a little bit more complex um, and it's going to be a little bit more of a challenge to uh, get everything properly uh, lined up for investors. So it's a lot easier just to keep it as a single entity. Um, and that way the deal lives and dies by itself. Nothing gets cross collateralized. Uh, nothing um, is reliant on anything else. The deal lives and dies by itself. And that's how it should be done. What is your um, number, like what, what dollar amount would you say is a minimum for someone to actually go out and try to do a syndication? Hmm. Like would you do that with a $200,000 $200, mobile home park or is a minimum like $500,000? Like where do you see is the number? Uh, you can do it on a $200,000 mobile home park. Our first one, first one was $300,000. It's tough to get... Um, enough juice out of that to pay. Let's say, you know, you charge $5,000 for an acquisition fee. You're going to spend more than that. Just getting yourself and any of your staff or whoever you're paying salaries to, to get through the closing line. So at the end of the day, you know, a 1% fee or 3% fee or 5% fee looks a whole lot different on a large complex than it does on a small one. Um, it's you make more money as a syndicator, um, really by going down, you know, larger routes, working with other people, um, and you avoid a lot of headaches, um, a lot of mistakes. And I did not understand that. I thought I had to start small. You can start small. That's how I did it. The first 10 deals were all under $1 million. Um, I don't recommend that. It's a lot of churn and you don't make much money. And at the end of the day, you have to make money or you cannot be successful. That's true. That's, sure, that's Omar's motto. It is. <laughs> it is, especially when you have investors, right, Sam? Your investors want their profits, so yeah, investors want their profits, right? And if you don't under if you undercapitalize, 
I don't care if you're Grant Cardone, if you don't have any money to invest in the deal, you cannot finish. You cannot make it a success. And, and I like what you said earlier. Cash flow was number one for you. It seems it's all about the cash flow. I think in life, it's all about the cash flow. <laughs> yeah, it's all about the cash flow, right? Who cares what you're worth if you can live, you know, yeah. under your means and you got extra cash, you're happy, right? Yeah. Awesome, awesome. So how how do we find you? Uh, what's your website, um, Sam, for Sam Sells so we can get this out to some of our, our friends who, who may be interested in joining you in Texas? Yeah, so wildmountaincapital.com. You can go to that website. You can learn about us. Um, I am not really good at marketing, so... Uh, just get in there, uh, reach out and you can schedule a call with me or with Monica. And we're happy to talk about what we do. Um, I do have coaching courses that are linked in there now called syndication launch to help folks launch their careers and put them on a trajectory that they want to achieve. Do you want high time freedom and make lots of money? Or do you want to make, do you want to own a billion dollars in assets? Or do you want to work with big billion dollar institutions that write you $50 million checks? There's different avenues to go on and there's different paths to get there. And we go through like all of that with folks. So you can check me out at whymoncapital.com. You can also go to, what's that? I want the $50 million check. (laughs) Without working. Without working. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. It was really exciting. And I think that, uh, we're going to have a lot of people trying to start a syndication. You know, um, we have a couple of our own and, and we love it. And, uh, I look forward to, to personally talking to you more and going to come out and visit you in Texas. <laughs> I yeah, love that. Absolutely. Let's go to Texas. I've road always trip. wanted to go to Texas. Road trip. I don't know about a road trip. Man. Road trip to Texas. <laughs> rather fly. It's a, a super cold 65 degrees today here. So I don't know. Oh, yeah, it's 20 something here. Thanks so much, Sam. Uh, we appreciate <laughs> having you, you on. And... and remember, everybody, if you visualize it, you can own it. We'll see you next time. Stay with us, Sam. Stay with us, Sam. Awesome. Bye, guys. Thanks, all.